Lindsay and I were looking back uh, 15 and a half years ago uh, when we both said, I do, and we, we got married in Wild Horse Golf Course here in Las Vegas, Nevada, and uh, man, we, we did our vows, the rings, the sand. I spilled some of my sand, and I said, that's not a representation of anything, you know, like spilled my unity, and so we had a great time at our, at our wedding reception, and then we went off on our honeymoon, and then we came back about a week later, and I remember our pastor called us, and he said, uh, Jeremy and Lindsay, can you put me on speaker? So we put him on speakerphone, and he goes, why, uh, uh, he said, I'm trying to phrase this right, what he said, but he said, do you know you and Lindsay have been fornicating this entire time? And we said, excuse me? You know, like, what, pastor? And he said, no one gave me the wedding certificate. No one gave me the wedding certificate. Now, now let's settle the mystery right here. I had three, probably my fault, but I had three best men. And so three best men, I had three best men I had. And, 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 in, order, and, and in order of importance too, by the way, all right? We had Isaac, Mike, and Eric. And so these are my three best guys. And I gave the certificate to my best, to Isaac. And I said, listen, you got one job. You got one job. Get this, this giant envelope, big envelope, not a little envelope, big envelope to the wedding coordinator. Give, her the, give this envelope to the wedding coordinator. I said, you got one job. Give this to the wedding coordinator. And so he didn't. And so for like a month later, we find out. And so what we had to do is go back down to the courthouse, get the, get the date, uh, you know, settled and changed. And so our anniversary is actually our anniversary. And, uh, but I, oh, I want to open up with the title of the message today is you had one job. Turn and tell your neighbor. <laughs> tell your neighbor you had one job. You had one job. I want to turn to uh, 1 Samuel, and what we're going to do in 1 Samuel is we're going to cover eight chapters today. Eight chapters today. So buckle up. It's summertime. We're going to be here for a few hours, all right? And uh, we're going to cover eight chapters. I'm going to make a deal with you. I, I, if I can go through eight chapters as quickly as I can, the deal is if I, if I go quick today, will you go to Connect One Day uh, afterwards? Is that all right? Is that okay if you go to Connect One Day? Uh, there you go. If you go to Connect One Day afterwards, and that's taking place down the hall to the right. And uh, we already have, friends, we have 11 RSVPs for Connect One Day. 11. Amazing. So if I go quick, you go to Connect One Day. Deal? Deal. All right, First Samuel chapter 8, let's dive right in. I hope you were here for the past three weeks. This is our fourth week of Samson. And here it is in First Samuel chapter 8. As Samuel grew old, he is now the judge. He has now made it. He has now arrived. And so when Samuel grew old, he appointed his sons to be judges over Israel, Joe and, and Abiah. And his oldest sons held court in Beersheba. But they were not like their father, for they were greedy for money. They accepted bribes. They perverted justice. Finally, and I, I, I get tickled by this, finally the elders of Israel met at Ramah to discuss the matter with Samuel. Look. <laughs> I mean, you know, uh, conversations that are not, they're typically not good if they start with, listen. You know, like, I mean, I'm talking about, look. And he says this, look, look. They told him, you're now old. Your sons are not like you. Give us the king to judge. You're now old. Your boys are nothing like you. And so instead of a judge, give us a king. Give us a king to judge us like all the other nations have. Can you see what happens when you start comparing out there instead of what's in God's word? 
And so this is what Samuel says. He was displeased. Samuel was displeased with the request, and he went to the Lord for guidance. And I, and I really want to preach this, but I have to be obedient to what God wants today. He says, do, do, and, and this is what the Lord says, do everything they say to you, the Lord replied, for they're rejecting me, not you. For they're rejecting me, not you. Friends, when we stand out, when we stand up for our faith, and we say, this is what I believe, and they go, no way. They're not rejecting you, they're rejecting Jesus. They're not rejecting you, they're rejecting God's word. Man, I could I preach this today. But I really want to talk about one topic today, and that is the job that we have to do today. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you. Father, thank you for your word. Father, thank you. Your word is it's so relevant for today. Father, thank you through the power of your spirit that we're able to look at scriptures that was written to Samuel, but it was for us today, Father. So, God, I thank you for what you're doing in our lives, in our church. And, Father, I pray, may the golden knights bring home the cup. In Jesus' name, everybody said. Amen and amen. How many know our prayers are more powerful than Florida? Come on, somebody. So the title of my message today is, man, you had one job. Man, you had one job. Now Samuel had one job, and this was Samuel's job was to find the next king. So here's Samuel's job in, in first, uh, first Samuel chapter 9. There's a wealthy, influential man named Kish from the tribe of Benjamin. Everyone say Benjamin. From the tribe of Benjamin, he was son of Abiel, uh, son of, and there's all these different things, son of Zor and uh, all these things, right? And his son Samuel, and remember, pastors, sometimes we read all this, but not all the time, you know. And his son Samuel, his son Saul, was the most handsome man in Israel. He looked like your pastor. Not that funny. He's head and shoulders taller than anyone else in the land. He could dunk, I guess. One day, Kish's donkeys, his father's donkeys, strayed away, and he told Saul, take your servant with you and go look for the donkeys. So Saul takes his servant with him. He goes into the, uh, into the city. He's looking for his father's donkey. He lost a donkey. And this is what it says. They entered the town as they passed through the gates. Samuel. So Saul went into town looking for donkeys. Samuel is out on his way, and he's going to church. Now the Lord told Samuel the previous day, about this time tomorrow, I will send you a man from the land of, say, Benjamin. Benjamin, anoint him to be king. Anoint him to be leader of my people. He will rescue them. I've looked down on my people. I've heard their cry. And when Samuel saw Saul, the Lord said, that's the man I told you about. He will rule my people. How awesome is that, that we learned about hearing the voice of God last week. And how do I hear the voice of God? And he goes, there it is. This is it. This is the moment. But then it says this, but. The Lord said to Samuel, don't consider his appearance or his height, for I have, oh, excuse me, go back up one verse. I'm sorry, go back. And so this is where Samuel goes, and he, he grabs Saul, and he takes Saul on a journey to become king. Now, I love that the Bible said that Saul was handsome, and he was tall amongst the others. But how many know God doesn't look on the outside, God looks on the inside. First Samuel chapter 16, now we can go, this is when the Lord is talking about David. And the Lord said to Samuel, don't consider his appearance or his heights, for I have rejected David's brother. But the Lord does not look at the things that people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. The Lord looks at the heart. So friends, I want you to really, before we jump into today's message, I want you to know, God looks at the heart. God looks at the heart. A lot of times people look at what we do instead of looking on the inside of why we do what we do. Uh, God looks at the heart. 
Uh, man, God doesn't see what other people see. Sometimes you could look on the stage and you could see a, a hard of hearing, deaf individual trying to preach the gospel every single week. Uh, but how many know God doesn't see that? God sees my heart. You might look at Pastor Lindsay and you might say, oh, man, she's from East Las Vegas. <laughs> you know, like uh, quite a history with family and, and all those different things. But, I mean, no, they don't look at, God doesn't look at our track record. He looks at our hearts. Uh, people may look at Avenue Church and go, they're still portable. They're six years in. Uh, uh, what kind of church is this going to be? God doesn't look at what our church is right now. God sees what his church is going to be. That he's building this church brick by brick by brick. God's doing something amazing, but God looks at the heart. There's things that we could try to do, but man, we, we won't get away with it because God sees our heart. And so Samuel grabs Saul and he says, the Lord wants you to be king. And so now Saul has one job. And so Samuel grabs Saul and says, here, I'm going to give you some instructions. And if you begin to read through the entire seven, eight, eight chapters, you begin to kind of see the reluctance of Saul then you begin to see the powerhouse in Saul, but then you get to see the disobedience in Saul. So here's, here's Saul's job, 1 Samuel, all the way to chapter 10. He goes, okay, listen, this is your journey as a king. When you arrive at Gibeah of God, where the garrison of the Philistines are located, you're going to meet a band of prophets coming down from the place of worship. They're going to be playing a harp and a tambourine and a flute and a lyre. And they're going to be prophesying. They're going to be singing songs. They're going to have their instruments. Come on. What if our worship team left here today? You went all the way to your car. Come on with your guitar, your bass, and your drums. And you're just worshiping Jesus. And it says, at the time of the Spirit, at that time, the Spirit of the Lord will come powerfully upon you. You will prophesy with them. And I want you to see this. And you will be changed into a different person. And you will be changed into a different person. After these signs take place, do what must be done, for God is with you. Next, uh, next slide. Then you'll go down to Gilgal ahead of me. I will join you there to sacrifice burnt offerings and peace offerings. You must wait seven days. Everyone say seven days. You must wait seven days. So I want you to go do this. God's going to change you to a completely different person. Then you must go to this place. You're going to prophesy. You're going to worship. But then together we will do burnt offerings unto the Lord. But you must wait seven days days until I arrive to give you further instructions. As Saul turned and started to leave, God gave him a new heart. Everyone say new heart. God gave him a new heart. God gave him a new heart. And all Samuel's signs were fulfilled that day. I love reading the scripture because the moment Saul turned, he didn't even do the action yet. But the minute Saul turned, God gave him a new heart. The minute Saul said, got it, he turned, boom, new heart. How many know it's a big deal every single Sunday when someone raises their hand and says, I want to give my life to Jesus. Boom, new heart. It's a big, you didn't do anything yet. Yeah, but they're about to. We're about to confess with our mouth that he is Lord of our life. Boom, a new heart. When we say, I'm going to go to connect one day. I'm tired of sick. I'm tired of being sick and tired. I'm going to go to, boom, a new heart. And I love this because did God just reach in and grab it? I mean, he's like, oh, my God. I, I think I'm having a heart attack. No, God's giving you a new heart. 
That's not what's happening. Here's the original word. So if you break down 1 Samuel chapter 10 and you see heart. Yeah, go ahead. 1 Samuel chapter 10, you see heart. I love you guys. If you see heart, this is what it means. It comes from this original language. This is the original word that the author wrote down. And what he said was heart. He said inner man, mind, will, and heart. As I began to study this deeper, it said, really, it said, when he turned, God gave him a new way of thinking. God gave him a new mindset. God gave him some new thoughts today. You know how powerful your thought is? You know how powerful your mind is, your, your thoughts are in your life? And so when he turned, he said, God's changed the way I'm thinking. God just changed my mind. You know what repentance is? Repentance means not to repent, but repentance means to change your direction. Or it also means to change your mind. And so Saul said, I, I don't know if I can be king. It's the place we do that. I don't know if I can be a Christian. You know what it's like out there, pastor? But God says, man, when you repent and change your mind, I'm going to give you a new heart and a new way of thinking. And so this is what it is. Obedience leads to transformation. Obedience leads to transformation. That when we obey and be purpose in our heart, God's going to transform us. God's going to change us. And friends, I'm here to tell you as your pastor, I wish it was as easy as just turning and going a different direction. This is the easy part. The hard, difficult part comes in your journey. And you say, my goodness, I'm going to live and obey my Lord and Savior. But Romans chapter 12, if obedience leads to transformation, Romans chapter 12, don't copy the behaviors and customs of this world. But let God transform you into a new person. Just like Saul. Let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Changing the way you think. I promise you that is why you could go on TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, online web pages. Algorithm will begin to find you and identify you. And their major, their one and only job is to change the way you think. If I can get you away from God's word, if I can divide you, if I can get you angry, if I can get you divisive, I can change the way you think. And they're changing us into a new person. When God says, I want to change you into a new person, I'm going to change you into a new, I'm going to give you a new heart by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will. So God just doesn't just transform us and turn us into clones of, 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 of disciples. God transforms us and says, this is exactly what I have planned for your life. Which is good and it's pleasing and it's perfect. Isn't that good, everybody? Come on, online audience, give me a good little... Not all the time am I like, good job, you know, like, not all the time. But I love this because the moment he turned, God gave him a new way of thinking. So Saul had one job. And his one job was go worship, prophesy, and go wait seven days. So here, let's talk about Saul's one job. Psalms, first uh, Samuel chapter 13. It says, meanwhile, Saul stayed at Gilgal. And his men were trembling with fear because they are now at war. Now the pressure's on. Isn't it funny when we're like, praise God, God is good all the time on Sunday mornings. But then on Monday morning we go to the office. Or Monday morning when we see our children <laughs> right out in the parking lot. Or man, when temptation comes our way. When we're doing something we know we're not supposed to be doing. That's war. Right? war. There's a spiritual war that takes place. And so here's Saul. and He's at war and his men are trembling with fear. Saul waited there seven days for Samuel. As Samuel had instructed him earlier. But Samuel didn't come. He didn't 
show up. That's like waiting on the Lord, everybody, right? Like, God, you said you would, and this is your word, but he didn't show up. So Saul realized that his troops were rapidly slipping away, so he demanded, bring me the burnt offering. Bring me the peace offering. Saul sacrificed the burnt offering himself. Just as, just as Saul was finishing with the burnt offering, Samuel arrived, and Saul went out to meet and welcome him. Samuel said this, and this is what he said. What is this you have done? And Saul said, listen, I saw my men scattering. I saw they were afraid. You didn't arrive when you said you would. You didn't show up when you said you would show up. And the Philistines are at Michmash, and they're ready for battle. So I said the Philistines are ready to march, to march against us, and I haven't even asked the Lord for his help. I haven't inquired of the Lord. So I felt compelled. I felt compelled to offer the burnt offerings myself before you came. As I began to read this, I said, man, how relevant is this for us today? For us to be, man, we're, 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 we, we feel stuck. Man, we, we feel like God is, he's taking forever. He's, he's, he's not on time. And, and you begin to really study this out. Samuel actually was, he was late, but he was only a little bit late because of the duration that Saul had to burn the, off, uh, the offerings. And as he came out, there Samuel was. So he was late, but he was like American late. You know what I'm talking about? Like 10 minutes late, you know, like, like uh, uh, you know, there's some people in your life, you got to tell them the party's 30 minutes earlier, right? Right? Like, like brother and sister, party's at 5.30. Mom and dad, party's at 6. And if, you're just, if you don't think that's funny, they're telling you the wrong time. Just letting you know. But I want you to know, he said, he says this. He said, I, I saw my men scattering. You didn't arrive when you said you would. So I felt compelled to do it. Friends, as I begin to read through the scripture, I begin to realize that God's timing, it's not just a patience test. It's an obedience test not just a patience test. Be patient, brother. Be patient, sister. It's also an obedience test. To see, man, will you still obey? And will you still trust? And will you still wait? It's not just a patience test. It's an obedience test. And this is what Samuel said. How foolish. You have not kept the commandment the Lord God gave you. Have you kept it, the Lord would establish your kingdom over Israel forever. But now your kingdom must end. For the Lord has sought out a man after his own heart. There's that heart word again. For God has sought out a man after his own heart. He's talking about King David, which we're going to encounter next week. But man, God sought out someone else. There's so much I could talk about here about theology. That God said, man, I reject you, you, you uh, Saul. I, I regret making you king. And that entire theological deal is that God knew what he was going to do, but God could still know and he can still have regret. God could still know, and that word regret isn't the regret that we have. Oh, I wish I wouldn't have done this. But God was regretting that Saul disobeyed, but he knew that Saul would. It's just like when your son does something disobedient and you spank them, you still have remorse in your heart. I wish I didn't have to spank them, but I had to because I'm, and, and, and God, and, and as a parent, you're not repentant that I had to spank someone. And how many know, yes, it is 2023, but we spank children, amen? Okay. Got a little weird there. 11 a.m., maybe I won't say that. All right, no, I'm chatting. But he said, the Lord had already appointed him to be the leader because you have not kept the Lord's commandments. So remember, this Bible story wasn't written, it wasn't written to us, but it was written for us. So by using what, exactly what 
Paul did, I'm going to ask this question today. Why, why we disobey? Because I believe with every intention, the moment we raise our hand or, or the moment we, we decide in our heart, God, I want to make a difference for you. Or the moment we, we take a step of faith and we say, man, God, I, I, I believe you want me to do this. Or I want to live out your word. And man, I want to be a man of God. I want, I want to be a woman of God. But there are reasons and there, there, are, there are many situations in our life where we disobey. We mess up, we screw up. If that's not you, you're going to be the odd man out. Because it's every single one of us. Sometimes we give in to temptation. Sometimes we screw up. Sometimes we mess up. And so according to Saul's story, the, uh, the reason number one is we disobey when we're under pressure. When we're under pressure. Under pressure can be the pressures of life. Under pressure can be, uh, man, when you feel like you don't have any control. And can I tell you, in these, in these past couple years, I have, I have felt that pressure of not being in control. And I do not enjoy it, and I do not like it. There, and when, when, you're, when you feel like you're losing control, you'll do anything and everything to get control back. And God is saying, my goodness, you've got to trust me. Because when you're under pressure, your heart is revealed when you're under pressure. When you're under pressure, when the fire gets brighter, you begin to see the impurities. You begin to see the areas of your life you fully haven't committed to God. I'm going to say that again. There's areas in our life when when there's under pressure, it is revealed where we haven't fully submitted to God. It's those pressures that, it's those pressures that when they show up, man, it is almost like you have blinders on and you're just, you're beelining to your purpose and to what you want instead of what God wants. So sometimes when we're under pressure, we disobey. Second one is we make excuses. We make excuses. And really excuses try to justify a disobedient heart. I mean, anybody ever make excuses in this room today? All right, it's getting kind of getting quiet in this room today. Right, have you ever made excuses? I, I, I totally understand. Number two is we make excuses. How many know the original sin in Genesis chapter 3? Adam and Eve, uh, God said, you can eat of all the trees, but do not eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Serpent comes by, serpent deceives Eve. Eve is like, well, the serpent gives half truths. He said, did God really say? And she's like, well, yeah, but she eats of the fruit, gives it to Adam, eats of the fruit. Sin enters into the world at this point. And then God's walking in the cool garden, and God said, who told you that you're naked? Who told you? That you didn't have clothes on. Well, sin did, right? The Lord God, have you eaten from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat? And this is what Adam said. Lord, this is a dumb answer. Lord, the woman you gave me. Because of her and you gave me her. Because of you. you get, she came from me. It's you. Because the woman you gave me made me do it. And the Lord, God, and I love God. God's always like, okay, what about you? You have no answer. And Eve says this. She said, does a serpent deceive me? And that's why I ate it. A lot of times our excuses really begin to reveal our disobedience. We do it all the time when we want to be innocent. We do it all the time. And we say, oh, well, yeah, but it's this and, and it's that. The third one is, is intimidation and insecurity. Intimidation and insecurity. And friends, I wish I could tell you, <laughs> when you become a Christ follower, this all goes away. You know, we, we, I'm God's masterpiece. But it, sometimes it feels like we're all alone out there. 
Sometimes it feels like, my goodness, will, will people receive me? Will people love me? Will people hear the words that I have to say? Uh, even Barna did a, a big poll and a big research that this younger generation, they believe it's disrespectful to share your faith with someone else. How many know, man, this world needs to hear the life-giving message of Jesus Christ. They need to hear the gospel message from others. And we see this, so Saul, we see this with Saul. Saul says, I am so sorry. I, I repent. I mean, you, you were late. <laughs> Samuel's like, come on. Like the donkey was tired, you know. Like you were late. And, and because you're late, they, they were afraid. And because they're afraid, they're, they're, they're dying. And, and because we didn't do this yet. And he's making all the excuses. But then this is what he says in 1 Samuel chapter 15. That Saul pleaded again. I know I've sinned. I know, I know I messed up, but please let at least honor me before the elders of my people and before Israel. Saul had more of a fear of man than he had a fear of the Lord. And we've got to get back to a place where we revere and we respect God so much that it doesn't matter what they think, it matters what he thinks. Otherwise, there will be intimidation and fear every single day in our life. I love what Kimberly Malloy once told us. She said, I give you permission slip. A permission slip is for you to walk into your workplace and say, I have permission to be a man of God. I have permission to be a woman of God. I have permission to obey God's word. I have permission to wait until I'm married. I have permission not to say words or coarse jokes. I have permission to be exactly who God has called me to be. And so we have one job, ladies and gentlemen. We have one job, and it's found all throughout the Bible. But I'm going to do my very best to demonstrate 1 John chapter 5. It says, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has become a child of God. Everyone who loves the Father loves his children. We know we love God's children if we love God and obey his commands. Loving God, I love this, loving God means keeping his commandments. And his commandments, and this is the key, friends. And his commandments are not burdensome. His commandments are a bunch of, they're not a bunch of rules and do's and don'ts. And God's just this big old jerk in the sky. And, and man, Christianity is no fun. How many know it is a joy to obey God? It is a joy to love and to serve Jesus. For every child of God defeats this evil world. We achieve this victory through faith. And, the, and, 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 and who can win this battle against the world? Only those who believe. Only those that change their stinking thinking. Only those that turn to repent and say, I'm going to go this way. I'm going to be a new creation in Christ Jesus. I'm going to be God's masterpiece today. I'm going to change my mind, change my heart, and be able to see what God can do with my life. Jesus in John chapter 14, Jesus said the, this, a very popular verse. If you love me, obey my commands. If you love me, obey my commands. You know what obedience really is, and this is a, you know, obedience, how do I word this? Obedience, man, it's, it's got a stigma to it, doesn't it? Man, obedience is like, man, if you're a first-time guest here and I, and I went to you and I said, obey God, you'd be like, I'm getting out of this church. You need to be obedient to the word, you know, like, that has such a stigma. I want you to know what really, if, if, if God's word says to love God is to obey God, and his commandments are not burdensome, that really means obedience is an overflow of our gratitude for all that Jesus has done. 
Obedience is an overflow for all that God has done. Obedience is an overflow. Can I just tell you, I'm some days obedient to my wife most of the time. But I, I don't obey her because she's mean. I don't obey her because I really need her, you know, and I do, you know, but I obey her because I love her. I'm committed to her because I love her. I will do whatever I can to, to, to honor her and to cherish her because I love her. Marriage is not burdensome. Somebody online needs to hear that. Marriage is not a burden. It is a blessing and it is a joy and it is the hardest thing you'll ever do. Come on, somebody. Amen? No, no, yeah. Somebody's clap. <laughs> if some people are like, yeah, yeah. Now, I found a great analogy. Let's say, uh, I got to shift gears a little bit, okay? Raise your hand if you like running. Any runners in the house today? You love to run. Put your hand up. Be proud. Come on, runners, where you at, right? Well, it's like uh, CrossFitters. All right, nobody cares about you. Nobody cares. Nobody cares. <laughs> so let's say there's three runners. And three runners run uh, five days a week. And I'm going to give you kind of three different types of runners. And so let's put up our three runners. Here's three runners. The first runner, if you were to interview them and you say, you run multiple miles a day, why do you run so much? Maybe the first runner will say, well, my, my, my dad had a heart attack at, at the age of 54. And so because my dad had a heart attack, I want to make sure I don't have a heart attack. I want to live beyond 54. So I'm going to run to make sure I keep my heart healthy, to make sure I don't die at the same age my father did. Okay, that's, that's, a, that's perfect. I love that. That's great. Maybe the second runner, and you'll say, why do you run? And this is why I run too, all right? And the second runner says, man, I run to eat. Come on, somebody. Anybody else, right? Like, my goodness, I'm gonna, I run to eat, and, and I love running so that I can eat more, more, more cake and ice cream. And, 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 yeah, and I run because I, I get tired when I run, and therefore I sleep better. And so I run because, I, 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 you know, I, I run to eat, I run to sleep. But maybe, maybe the last person says, man, I run because, man, I just love when the wind hits my face. Man, I just love when my feet are striding across the ground. These are weirdos, by the way, all right? I love, like, I feel so alive when I run. I wake up every day and I cannot wait to run. Those are psycho people, right? I just love running. Like, I'm doing a marathon and this marathon and marathons, and that's all they say. Like, tell me you're doing a marathon without telling me you're doing a marathon. And here's what I love about these three different runners. The first runner did it because his father had a heart attack. Go ahead. Next slide. Father had a heart attack. The second runner does it too. I run to eat and I run to sleep. And the third runner runs because it's complete enjoyment. But really, if you get down to the bottom of it, the first runner runs because of fear. And, and fear, I'm going to die. Fear is not, not going to go good with me. The second runner runs for the benefits. I run because there's good things that come out of running. This is me right here. And I don't run, by the way. I power walk. Come on, somebody. I'm going to be the only 39-year-old at the mall, you know. But the third runner runs because running is its own reward. Ooh, I'm about to preach. Because so many of us, we obey God out of fear. And we say, oh, my goodness, God's going to punish me. Oh, my God, I don't want to go hell. Oh, my goodness, it's, I, better, I, better, I, better act, I better act right, shape up, ship up. And how many know that is not a, that is not, and this is not the fear of the Lord. This is, I'm afraid of God. 
And I'm afraid what God's going to do to me. The second runner, the runner runs for benefits. Man, this is someone who obeys God because he will open up the windows of heaven and pour blessings over my life. And that when I say it, I'm going to have it. And I serve God for the benefits of God. God is more of a genie in a bottle than your heavenly father. And so when we, when we serve God or obey God for the benefits of God, there will come a season where we don't see the benefits of God. And when we don't see the benefits of God, we're going to walk away from our faith with God. But may, all of us in this room, we should really be like the last runner. To say, I obey him because I love him. I obey him because of what he did on the cross for me. That while I was still a sinner, he died for me. I, 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 every time I've obeyed God, he's had my back. Every time I've obeyed God, he's guided me and he's protected me. Now, remember the scripture verse, if you love me, you'll keep my command. Have you ever run a race or have you ever gone running with somebody else? I have. And when I'm running with somebody, I'm going, I want to quit. This is, this is terrible. I hate this. But I run with that person who loves running. They'll say, come on, you can do it. You can do another mile. Come on, you can keep going. Come on, don't quit. Don't give up. Come on, let's do this. Let's take a break. Then let's continue running. You know what that's like to run with somebody? It's refreshing. And so Jesus says, if you love me, obey my commands, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another runner. He'll give you another advocate. He'll give you the Holy Spirit who will lead you and guide you into all truth. He'll lead you into this thing called obedience. Anytime I want to disobey, the Holy Spirit's like, Jerry! I'm like, ah, oh, you're right. <laughs> oh, shoot. You know that still small voice that we learned about last week? The world cannot receive him because it's not looking for him. It doesn't recognize him. But you know him because he lives with you now and later he will be in you. And how many know that later is today? Is today. But I love what Samuel tells Saul at the very last, uh, in the very last verse of chapter 15. Saul said, yeah, yeah, you screwed up. And this is where you screwed up, Saul. You had one job. This is what Samuel says. He says, what is more pleasing to the Lord? Your burnt offerings and your sacrifices or your obedience to his voice? I love this based upon everything we learned last week. Does he want your sacrifice? No. He wants your obedience to his voice. Obedience is better than sacrifice. Submission is better than offering the fat of rams. Rebellion is as sinful as witchcraft. And stubbornness, woo! I didn't highlight this, by the way, because I'm stubborn. And stubbornness is as bad as worshiping false gods, false idols. He says this, so because you've rejected the commandment of the Lord, he's rejected you as king. Friends, our obedience is so much better than our sacrifice. Our obedience is better than our sacrifice. Now, remember, I didn't say uh, God only wants obedience. He doesn't want sacrifice. That's a whole other message in itself. I want you to read Romans chapter 3. I think so many of us, man, we're trying to, we're like that fearful runner. And we're laying ourselves on that altar and we're like, God, help me. Sacrifice me, Lord. God says, my goodness, I paid. I paid for that. It has been paid in full. God just wants our obedience. 
Yet God, in his grace, freely makes us right in his sight. He did this through Christ when he freed us from the penalty of our sins. God presented Jesus as a sacrifice for sins. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus, when they believe, when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. Now this sacrifice shows that God was being fair when he held back. And he did not punish those who sinned in times past. You know what Jesus was doing? You know what God was doing? He was looking ahead and including them in what he would do in his present time. That God did this to demonstrate his righteousness, for he himself is fair and he is just. I can obey a God who is fair and who is just. And he makes sinners right in his sight when they believe in Jesus. I pray that the Holy Spirit will take us beyond that. Just what you do, I pray you begin to understand what he called you to be. In um, Colossians chapter 3, it says, let the peace of Christ ruin your hearts. As members of one body, you are called to peace. Be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with wisdoms, through psalms, through hymns, through songs, and the Spirit singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whatever you do, whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God, to the Father, through him. Friends, obedience is an overflow of gratitude of what Jesus has done in our life. But can I take it a step further? Because remember, I think obedience is a stigma. Obedience has this kind of negative connotation hooked up to it. And so I want to leave us with this last slide before we contemplate, before we ask the Holy Spirit to speak to us this morning. But what others call obedience, friends, we call it worship. What others call obedience, we call it worship. What others call sacrifice, come on, we call it worship. When people say, you got to go to church on Sunday, we go, oh, that's not sacrifice. That's my worship. And so if you're in this room today, will you just stand with me, please? And I want us to overflow our gratitude over the Lord today. Go ahead, Tim. Go ahead, worship team. And church, I just want you to raise your hands today. I just want you to thank him for all that he has done in your life. I want you to thank him for being the sacrifice today. Just take a moment. Take a moment. It's your breath in our lungs. So we pour out our praise. Pour out our praise. It's your breath in our lungs. So we pour out our praise only. It's your breath in our Others call obedience. We call it worship. We have others call difficult. We call it worship. 
When others say, you, you have to do that, you go, no, I get to do that. This is my worship, my gratitude. I'm so thankful. Man, I, what others call waiting, <laughs> we call it worship. We call it worship. There's so many things I'm waiting for as your pastor. There's so many things Lindsay and I have been praying for. And we're saying, mm-hmm. I'm not waiting. I'm just worshiping. In due season, obedience isn't necessarily a patience test. It can certainly be a, it's an obedience test, the timing of the Lord. I pray this speaks to your heart today. I want to ask one more question before I close. But what area in your life do you need to fully submit to God? What area in your life, and this is where the Holy Spirit comes in, the comforter, the guidance, counselor, man, the one who wants to speak to you today. I just want you to take a moment because I know the moment I close, the host will come up. We're going to receive some information and we're going to leave today. I just want you to just take a moment to ask the Holy Spirit, what area of my life do I need to submit to God? Just take a second. Take a moment and ask him today. It's the Holy Spirit that's never mean, never condemning. But the Holy Spirit is so loving, so kind. I call it, the Holy Spirit does a loving challenge in your life. when the Holy Spirit reveals it to you. Something powerful is going to happen in your heart. At the moment you say, help me. The moment you say, I repent. The moment you say, I'm so sorry, I didn't see that before. The moment you say, I want to be a man of God, I want to be a woman of God. God's going to give you a new heart. He's going to give you a new way of thinking. He's going to give you a new approach. He's going to begin to share in his scripture, in his holy word, exactly what we need. Because he loves you. He doesn't just say, "Obey." if you love me, obey my commands. He says, if you love me, obey my commands. And I'm going to send you someone. I'm going to give you help. Because you're not alone. You can do this. I'm going to bring blessings over your life. You know, the runner, it happens backwards. Where he goes, man, I serve God because he's amazing and I love him. But when I serve him, then the benefits come. When I serve him, then the fear of the Lord comes. Because it's relationship. It's relationship. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. And I even challenge you today, online audience as well. Man, we have 11 RSVP for Connect One Day. But I felt really, 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 uh, and I always want to be life-giving and, 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 and all those things. Because that's just who we are. But even the production team wants me to say it. And that is Connect One Day. It's Connect One Day. Because I have seen too many individuals get robbed by the devil. Get robbed by, by, by purpose. Because of previous experiences. Because of somebody, something somebody 
said to you that was not life-giving, that was not encouraging, that drove you away from serving, that drove you away from church. We want to be as healthy as we can as a church, but also too, God has, has sent us together for a reason, to make an eternal difference. And we can certainly, we would love to have you on the team. But the, first, but the last question I want to ask today, if you're here today and you say, Pastor, I need to submit to God by giving him my life. This is a very public decision to make today. This week, three amazing ladies got water baptized this week uh, in our rooted small group. Check that out on, on Instagram yesterday. But if you're here today, I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to single you out. You just put a hand up and say, I want to give my life to Jesus today. I want to repent of my sins. I want that new heart and that the new way of thinking. One, anyone else? Two, two. That's all I'm going to do. Two, anyone else? Two. Anyone else? Three. There's three over there. Anyone else? So it's all prayer, prayer. Three, four. Thank you. Somebody's helping me. Four. I see your hand. Four individuals. Anyone else? Anyone else? Let's all pray together. Say, uh, lift your voice. Say, dear Jesus. Say, thank you for dying on the cross for me today. So I give you my life. I repent of my sins. That the best way I know how, I'm going to live for you. Because I now know who I am. I'm saved, I'm redeemed, I'm a child of God.